This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different because you're only going to hear me. We will continue our interviews during our next episode, but I want to share some exciting news about the Center for Sports Studies. First, I want to encourage you to mark your calendars for Wednesday, November 4th, as we host Robert Philippi for this semester's feature speaker. Last year's featured speaker was president of the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, Tim Bauman. So we're really excited to have Dr. Philippi come in this year. Uh, This is going to be a virtual speaker. And Dr. Philippi is the senior associate commissioner of Conference USA, and he's worked in college athletics for almost 30 years. In his current role, he directs the programming and services associated with compliance, academics, legislation, risk management, government, and student-athlete welfare functions of the conference office. Be sure to check out our social media accounts for more information on how to register for this special virtual event with Dr. Philippi. Second, I'm very excited to announce we have launched a blog for the Center for Sports Studies. Visit trying.edu and then click on Academics and then click on Centers to view our blog post. You can see our podcast and all our social media accounts on that one page there. This blog is an opportunity for trying faculty and staff, students, and friends of the university to lend their expertise to the world of sports studies. Although Trine is not necessarily considered a research institution, our faculty and staff have done some amazing things in both pro and amateur sports, exercise science, physical therapy, sports psychology, countless other things in sport, esports, and just countless other ways they've made contributions to sport. So this is an opportunity to showcase our talent. We're always on the lookout for contributors. So if you have a topic that you are passionate about regarding sports studies, please consider submitting an article. So with all that in mind, I would like to share the first entry in our blog, which highlights the need to study sport. Why do we study sport? And although this is partly a reflection on on my personal love of sports, I also wanted to point out the business reasons why the study of sport is important. So I'm not going to go through the article verbatim, but I did want to highlight a few key areas. So first, why do we study sport? And I always get an interesting kind of look. So people ask me, well, what it is that I do? And I'll say, well, I'm a professor, and they seem very impressed. And, and they say, well, what do you teach? And, and I teach sport management. And all of a sudden, they just kind of give me a weird look. And then I explain to them that, you know, there are currently over 400 sport management degree programs offered throughout the United States right now. And at Trine, our sport management alumni, they've gone on to work in the front office of pro teams. They've sold tickets to the world's largest one-day sporting event, the Indy 500. And they've even started their own NBA G League team. The sport industry just in the United States is worth about $60.5 billion. So it's certainly worthy of study, and it's certainly worthy of examining its place in our culture. So PricewaterhouseCoopers, they actually came out with a report, and they project 
that the sports market across North America is going to continue to grow at a compound interest rate of 3.2% across media rights, gate revenue, sponsorships, and merchandising. So the industry is in need of business-ready graduates with the skills to make an immediate impact. So why do we study sports? I want to go through five reasons. I'm going to elaborate on each one. The first reason why we study sports. Sport builds connections between people. And I want to tell you a funny story. And I go through it in the blog post, but maybe I can give you a little bit more detail here on the podcast. So when my wife and I uh, began our, our home search in fall of 2017, that's when I first came to Trine, and, and that's when we moved to Fort Wayne. After church one Sunday, we just kind of spontaneously decided, hey, here's a, an open house going on. Let's just stop in and kind of see what it is that, that we can afford here in, in this area of town that, that we really enjoy. So we, had, we still had eight months remaining on our apartment lease. So there was no intention of us making a decision that day or even in the near future. We just wanted to kind of get a, the lay of the land, so to speak. So we, we go in, and the realtor, nice guy, young guy, his name was Caleb, uh, very professional, and he allowed us to, to take a tour of the home on our own. He, he wasn't pushy. And it wasn't until we were leaving, and I, I don't necessarily remember how it happened. He either saw my license plate frame or I was complaining about the previous night's game. Um, but he said, hey, I'm a Cubs fan too. And students who know me or anybody who, who meets me for a matter of five minutes knows I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan. And so all of a sudden, Caleb went from just kind of being this random realtor that I didn't want following me around the house to, hey, this is my good buddy, Caleb, right? Because he's a Cub fan as well. So my wife and I, we end up going to lunch later that afternoon. And I convinced her that, you know, Caleb being a Cub fan is obviously a sign and he needs to be our realtor. And then sure enough, two months later, here we are closing on a new house and breaking our, our lease early from our apartment. So it, it's a goofy story. And it's a goofy story about my love for for the Cubs and just making a connection with somebody. But, you know, again, it kind of talks about that connection that sports have with people and how we were able to connect over our favorite team there. And I'm not going to necessarily that's, say that's what drove the sale. Obviously, we did our due diligence, but it was maybe the push that I needed to actually do it. And so, you know, think back to when you were a kid. And as we survey kids in their experience in youth sport. And youth sport is something that I'm passionate about researching. You know, two of the top reasons that they have for participating are, one, the number one reason, and it's overwhelming, is to have fun. And another reason is to be part of a team. So think back to those times when you were a kid playing sports and the relationships that you made. I know some of the best friends that I made were just a result of playing sport. And it was just kind of a random distribution of teams. And the fact that I was on a team with, a, with another certain player, we just became friends and we bonded through that connection of sport. So sport builds connections between people. Reason number two why we study sport. A team gives a city or a school an identity. So if you would kind of talk to, to sport sociologists, a lot of them would agree that one of the biggest reasons why people become a fan of a particular team or school is the connection to its community. You know, originally I'm from Indianapolis, so I'm a Colts fan and a Pacers fan, basically because they're in my backyard there. You know, and I think a lot of us are similar in that 
in that vein that we just grew up with the team they became our team you know here in angola it's really cool at homecoming a lot of the businesses downtown They'll paint their windows with big A's. Um, they'll have a lot of purple and gold. And it's just a way, you know, one, to build that connection between people like I talked about previously. But two, it kind of gives us an identity and it gives us something to rally behind. So I want to give you a different example. So I want us to think about hockey. So before the arrival of the NHL's Golden Knights in Las Vegas. Las Vegas was one of the nation's largest metropolitan areas without a major professional sports team. And we're talking about major professional sports teams. We're talking about the the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, Major League Soccer, WNBA. Again, major pro sports teams. Had some minor league teams, but nothing major league. This is amazing. Considering Las Vegas is in the middle of a desert. In their first year as an expansion team, three years ago, the Golden Knights lost in the Stanley Cup Finals, but hockey fever captured that fan base. And in their third season, and before this current coronavirus pandemic, the Golden Knights averaged 18,281 fans per game. So within three seasons, they averaged 18,281 fans per game. And they were selling out that first season on their run to the Stanley Cup Finals. But what's amazing is that T-Mobile Arena, where they play, only holds 17,500. So that means they were averaging a capacity of 105%, which is fourth highest in the NHL. So again, you know, sports gives that that city, you know, in this case, Las Vegas in the middle of desert, it gave them identity. It gave them something to rally behind. So much so that the goalie for the Golden Knights, Marc-Andre Fleury, has the fourth highest selling jersey in the entire league, right? Again, why do we study sports? The third reason, athletes are seen as societal role models. So I've talked about this in class before, and I put this in the blog post. If you remember back in 1993, there was a Nike commercial with Charles Barkley, and he famously said, I am not a role model. My job is to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. And maybe on some level, he's right. And personally, I don't disagree with what he's saying. Um, However, whether they like it or not, kids look up to athletes. There's been polls done and and studies done of kids, and there are some groups of kids, uh, depending on on the age group and and the ethnic and racial um, characteristics of who we're surveying, but there's some kids that almost 98% of certain groups of kids look to athletes as their role models. And we, I think in a perfect world, we would all like it to be a, an educator, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, uh, uh, you know, a, a close family friend who's done well. But athletes are role models. I mean, think back if, if you were a sports fan or if you played sports, you know, you may have played a certain position because your favorite player played it. Right. I know that's true in my case. My favorite player growing up was second baseman for the for the Cubs, Ryan Sandberg. And to the to this day, he's still my favorite player. And I don't know if you could ever convince me that he's not the best second baseman ever to play Major League Baseball. And, and obviously that's arguable. Right. But for me, that was my guy. You know, I replicated his batting stance and, and I wanted to play defense as good as he played. So that's somebody that I looked up to as a kid because I was a big sports fan. Right. So, you know, what we find is that 
the weight of evidence as we talk, especially to youth, is that young folks look up to people whom they admire for clues about life. And that's a pretty heavy burden and responsibility for these athletes to have, whether it's how they act on the court or on the field, how they act off the court and off the field, and especially now in social media where we can get an insight into what they feel, what they believe, and how they perceive the world. So as a result, successful athletes who are put on display by the media, they impress young people who do not have possibly caring and capable parents and coaches to help them differentiate between the positive and unacceptable traits of famous athletes. So unfortunately, though, you know, in traditional and social media, we see examples of athletes behaving badly. And this is where we really need the intervention between a parent or a coach or some type of role model, a teacher, some type of role model to really explain the principles of good sportsmanship. And that kind of goes back to what is sports about? What does sport really need to be about? And in my view, especially from youth, I love competition. I'm not a participation trophy guy. Um, But at the same time, only 1% of athletes are going to play pro or going to play at an elite level. But 99% of them are going to end up becoming professional in something else in their career. And sport gives us great learning opportunities, teamwork, dedication, sacrifice, hard work. All these principles that can be applied later to life can be applied with good parents, good coaching, good role models. So I understand Charles Barkley's point of view. I really do. But athletes also need to understand that they do have somewhat of a weighty responsibility to be good representatives for the game, good representatives of themselves, and just good representatives on what it means to play the game hard, to play it fair, to know how to win well, and also know how to lose well. The fourth reason why we study sport is because sport affects cultures, traditions, and values. So to go back to the Olympics, the first modern Olympics in 1896, it was founded by a man named Baron Pierre de Coubertin, and he came up with the Olympic Creed, and the Olympic Creed is this. The important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. The essential thing in life is not conquering, but fighting well. Sport has the ability to enhance social and cultural life by bringing together individuals and communities. It can help us to overcome differences. It can encourage dialogue, and it can help break down prejudice, stereotype, cultural differences, ignorance, intolerance, and discrimination. So an example, and there's so many examples that we could point to in this, but an example that I pointed to in this blog post, and this is something I just learned. I did not know this actually existed, but I thought this was fascinating, is that there is a soccer event called the Homeless World Cup, and it was created um, to support and change perceptions and attitudes towards the homeless. And this is where homeless are actually playing in a soccer tournament. And after they were doing some results on on what happened after they had this tournament, and after the 2007 Cup in Copenhagen, 71% of the players ended up coming off drugs and alcohol. They moved into jobs. They moved into homes, moved into training, education, and they repaired relationships all while continuing to play soccer. And we don't have to look that far. In our own communities, we've got 
YMCA, CYOs, police athletic leagues. There's so many initiatives that are working to provide opportunities for everyone to enjoy competition. Personally, I had the great benefit uh, for three summers in 2007, 8, and 9 to work with an organization called People to People. And I worked on the, the sports side. And we would take athletes all across from the United States, middle school and high school athletes. And we would travel to Europe and we would do it as part of, um, part of the motto was peace through understanding, but we would do it as part of having cultural, um, experiences and then also competition. And it was kind of like a junior Olympics. So the competition was one side, but we've got to go on so many cultural excursions, um, visiting the Anne Frank house, Schoenbrunn palace in Austria, um, canal tours in Amsterdam, um, saw how wooden shoes were made. Um, we visited a concentration camp at Mount Hausen in Austria, and it really gave these kids an opportunity to, to learn and appreciate a new culture, and it gave them an opportunity to, to see how sport can unite us. And I remember before one game, I, so I, I'm a former basketball coach, and, and I coached basketball at this tournament. And I can remember before one game, you know, usually before a game, coaches go to each other and they shake each other's hands and we're playing a team from Romania. And we exchange little gifts and, and I go to shake the coach's hand and he just grabs me by the shoulders and kisses me on both cheeks. And it caught me off guard. As an American, we don't usually do that. I usually shake a coach's hand while I'm thinking, man, I just really want to beat you guys today, right? But it was really interesting because I got to see how a different culture kind of reacts in the spirit of competition. And even though my team won and we won pretty handedly, uh, to brag a little bit, um, he he was really gracious during the whole thing. And and they really appreciated the opportunity to to play against an American team. And, and I think it was something for our American uh, players to see see. And it, that was good for them to see how we can bridge a lot of cultural gaps, ethnic gaps, racial gaps, any gap you can think of through the love of sport. And I think that's a great reason why we study sport. And then our final reason is that sport offers insight into societal issues. So one of my favorite sports movies is Bull Durham. And there are so many good lines from that movie. But one of my favorite lines is Susan Sarandon quoting Walt Whitman. And she quotes Walt Whitman as saying, I see great things in baseball. It's our game, the American game. It will repair our losses and be a blessing to us. And as a huge baseball fan, I tend to think that's true. Sport can be a great uniter. And so while sport has that amazing ability to unite us, it can also give players an opportunity to spotlight social causes that are close to their heart. I mean, we can go back to the 60s with Muhammad Ali and his refusal to be drafted during the Vietnam War. Think about Billie Jean King and her battle of the sexes. And we can even just fast forward to today with players kneeling in solidarity um, with, with social justice movements. So sport can bring to light societal issues that may have just been lying beneath the surface, beneath the cultural surface. What's going to be interesting with that in, in light of time, in light of our times right now and in some of the protest is how is that going to affect the bottom line of sports as a business? So there's two sides, I think, to this equation here as we study sport. One, obviously the cultural and societal issues of players standing up for what they believe in and then owners locking armed and arm with, with the players and, and supporting those causes, maybe some of the good outcomes that can come out as part of these protests. But on the 
business side, we have to consider how some of these might be affecting sport. So ESPN did a survey of sports fans, and they just released the data not too long ago. And in the ESPN survey, 51% of fans felt players should share their views during events, while 49% said they should speak out away from the court, if we're talking about the NBA. 56% of fans supported players kneeling for the national anthem, while 44% opposed it. However, overall, what they found in this survey is about 71% of fans, 7 out of 10, actually supported athletes speaking out. So I think what we're seeing from fans is support for athletes and their causes. However, on the other side of that, we are seeing a decrease in television ratings. So both the NBA and the NFL have been down as compared to last year. Now, I don't know if we can attribute all of that to the, the protest or, or to leagues um, supporting some of these social justice initiatives. We have a lot going on in the world right now, and we've got sports. All sports are going at the same time. People only have so many hours in the day. Um, people are also dealing with things in their own family as related to the pandemic. Uh, people are trying to find work. So I can understand while ratings could be down, but it's something as a sports marketer or sport professional, are they related? And if so, how do we handle that? How can we still support the social justice causes that are really important for the players and possibly really important for our society as large, while at the same time not trying to alienate fans? So again, that's really another important thing on, on why we study sport and how can we use sport as a cause for good and still recognize the need uh, of the business side as well. And I, and I just think things like that is, are fascinating. So you know, we know sport is big business and it's financial and it's cultural impact in the United States and worldwide, it deserves our attention. So while most sport management graduates might not go on to own a professional team or become a general manager, there's still an opportunity to make a considerable impact at all levels of sport. We need good coaches at the youth level to teach proper techniques and principles such as hard work, sportsmanship, and teamwork. We need ethical leaders throughout sport to usher in positive social change. And finally, we all need sport to be that refuge where we can come together and cheer for our favorite team and build the social camaraderie that seems to be missing in today's world. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for our next guest in early October. We'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.